This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Behind the Markets on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM 111. Welcome to Behind the Markets here on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm your host, Jeremy Schwartz, Director of Research and Wisdom Tree and ETS Sponsor, joined in the studio today by my co-host, Wharton Finance Professor Jeremy Siegel, author of Stocks for the Long Run and the Future for Investors. Please note, I'm registered representative for Side Fund Services. Professor Siegel is a Senior Advisor to Wisdom Tree. The discussion today is not tied to the Office of Investment Products. And the views of our guests are their own and not those of Wisdom Chats or Affiliates. We've got two guests with us in the studio today, um, both with some Philadelphia connections. Tom Haynes, Senior Vice President, Capital Markets and Index Solutions at Annexus, and Adam Pulitzer, Vice President of Product Management at Athene Holdings. We're going to talk about their industry insurance, uh, insurance products, something we don't really cover on this show, sort of an interesting topic. Adam, Tom, thanks for, for joining us. Well, thank you so much, Jeremy and Professor Siegel, for having us today. Yeah, thank you. We're going to look forward to, to digging in with you guys. Um, but before we get to Adam and Tom, Professor, maybe just yes. some commentary on the week. Uh, the tenure keeps rising. And, yeah, a little uh, pause today, but yeah. Well, let, again, let's let's review for, you know, the the big picture here. And the big picture is that demand is rolling along uh, in the U.S. Uh, and firms are hiring 200,000 uh, net new workers every month, and that's too many. Uh, there's there's not enough population, not enough people in the labor force. Economists estimate that that is about a hundred thousand a month. So what the Fed has to do is slow down the economy just enough to bring that two hundred thousand down to one hundred thousand. Now we'd love to keep on having it. The truth is uh, we're getting shortages, and unemployment keeps on going to down. We you know, went down to 3.9% on the last month uh, at 200000 at our current rate. We will be down to 3.5% by the end of the year. And uh, let me tell all those doubters of the Phillips curve, which, of course, is the inverse relationship between unemployment and inflation. Yes, it is true. Economists have been surprised that there's been so little wage and price inflation uh, when the rate has gone as low as it is. But let me tell you, through history— Whenever we get down to three and a half, it definitely has sparked uh, inflation. And I read more and more about shortages of workers uh, in many, many different industries, and uh, firms are beginning to have to bid up wages. Again, nothing really dangerous yet, but uh, that is why the Fed is going to tighten, and my prediction is going to continue to tighten uh, each quarter this year. And and the equity markets, they've been generally resilient to Yeah, this? pretty good because earnings are great. But, you know, as, I, as I've as i said a number of times on this show, it's an epic battle between the numerator and the denominator, numerator being great earnings and denominator being higher interest rates. And it depends on which one is kind of pushing ahead at the uh, at the present time. So, yeah, equities, I mean, they're, they're, listen, given, given earnings this year, we're selling really around 17 times operating earnings. This is a very reasonable rate, even if, you know, uh, yields go up to three and a quarter, which I think the 10-year is going to do by the end of the year. So it's nothing dangerous, but it's it's going to make uh, for a more difficult year for equities uh, 2017. Um, uh, you know, as listeners know, uh, last December, I said it was going to be 0 to 10% equity return this year. And I, 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 I think that's still going to be the, uh, the range. And it's going to be interest rates, the main, the main thing that um, holds it from going up even more. Adam and Tom, any thoughts on the markets or any question for the professor while we start off the show? Well, in terms of the the, the interest rate environment, I think it, the retiree that we look at, they have so much exposure to the the bond market, and it really should make them pause and think about what they need to do going forward the next few years. Yeah, I mean, long time, that, that's, that's the problem. I mean, stocks, you've got the good earnings going forward, overcoming the interest rates. Bonds have no such thing going forward. Uh, you know, they just capitalize that, uh, that interest rate. And that's, by the way, true of tips and of the standard bonds, because we're going to see rising real rates as well as those nominal rates. Uh, maybe tips might do a little bit better because I think we'll have a few tenths more of inflation, but both of them are going to be threatened by the uh, interest rate increase. 
Should be. People be fearing about a, a major correction in equities this time around? I, well, we had that correction of the 10% uh, real fast the end of January, early February. Um, I don't think there's a bear market. That's 20%. I definitely don't think that's going to happen unless, you know, a real, you know, a trade war, you know, anything way out of the expectation range um, of, uh, of of most investors. Not that things like that can't happen. It's always going to be surprises. Um, but uh, earnings are just too long, I think, to really uh, cause any serious damage in, in the equity market. So let me go back to our two guests in the studio. Let's get into their backgrounds, and we'll sort of start getting into the sort of topic of the day. Um, but so Tom Haynes of Annexus, you know, you you have some Philly connections here. What would, what go back through your history? Yes, I'm actually a Delaware County native from Havertown, Pennsylvania. I actually started my career in Philadelphia. At the time, it was Cooper Neff, which was uh, the one of the first and largest index arbitrage trading firms. I had the opportunity to start there and really get my foundation in quantitative finance there, and really the mm-hmm. underlings of smart beta. Uh, so fast forward, I was able to work at the New York Stock Exchange for four years, and that was right when we we actually started to work with your your team at Wisdom Tree. You know, being pioneers in smart beta offerings, and at that point, with my derivatives experience and understanding smart beta, and and also financial product regulation at the exchange, uh, transitioned into insurance solutions, which we'll talk a lot about today about fixed index annuities and the value there. Which because the, the with the fixed index annuity is a, a capital-protected instrument fueled by an accumulation of equities. Why don't you um, give some of our listeners, uh, new listeners, <clears throat> just a quick summary of what do you mean by smart beta? So smart beta, I think you know that can range from what you're offering at Wisdom Tree, dividend-weighted indexing, uh, to offering actually multi-asset solutions. So working with academic leaders such as yourself and your peers uh, in the industry, as well as large organizations that have excelled in understanding quantitative analysis to develop equity and multi-asset strategies that have risk-managed systems that allow for more stable and positive returns over time that then can be put into what Adam designs, annuity products um, that would allow the client to get uh, zero downside loss with positive protection. Better profiles than just straight indexation, which is, you know, I mean, just plain beta is like, I just put my money in a Vanguard index fund. I mean, smart bait is, hey, maybe I can do a little better than that. Yes, higher return and lower risk. So, so Adam, tell us a little bit about yourself and, and your background. Yeah, I also grew up in the Philadelphia area. Grew up in um, Bryn Mawr, went to school in Radnor. Uh, spent most of my career in the Midwest, and I'm an actuary. So that means I... Um, Work with insurance risks primarily, and I, I build, um, help design and price um, annuity products. Yeah, I don't go. To, I don't go to Iowa a lot, but uh, Athene is is based there. Tell us a little bit about Athene and the background on Athene. Yeah, so Athene, we've been around for. We started in um, 2009, um, and that was founded by by Jim Bellardi, of, originally of Sun America. Um, he had a vision of creating a different kind of insurance company, a better kind of insurance company. Uh, we got in the market at that time. We've had a number of acquisitions, and right now we've got over a hundred billion um, in different different assets. Uh, we sell uh, multiple channels of products. We sell um, a retail product line, which is where where I'm most involved. We also get involved in pension risk transfer, where we buy up uh, pensions and, and make sure that um, that those retirees have their lifetime income secured. Uh, we also get into uh, funding agreements. Um, as well as a reinsurance company. But I specialize predominantly in the retail area where we are well known. We're the number two writer of fixed indexed annuities. And that's how we work together. So I'm at Annexus, we actually are a product developer and distributor of fixed index annuities. It was created in 2006 by two partners, Ron Church and Don Dady, who really saw that the fixed index annuity could be a better retirement solution for, for product, for clients. Uh, in the retirement phase of their life, and how ultimately take that that chassis or that engine and improve it. Uh, so we've worked with a team of 15 actuaries at Genesis Financial that actually invented the first mm-hmm. fixed index annuity. And together with Genesis and ourselves at Annexus, help clients, A, understand the value proposition, and then part of it, ensure that it works. So we spend a lot of diligence in construction, working with, for example, Adam and his team at Athene, to make sure we have something sound, then something that we can clearly market to clients and understand. And 
really the fixed index annuity is not meant to be an equity replacement. Uh, the, 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 especially we were just talking about interest rates and the concern for the bond market. Fixed index annuities are really designed to be an alternative to bond investing, aiming to take the what you pointed out, the bullishness in the equity market over the long run, maybe not every year, but allowing that to be the accumulation engine within, the, within a, a retirement product with capital protection, so no downside risk, but giving up some of the upside to ultimately to achieve returns of 5 to 7% on an annualized basis. Let's step back before we drill deeply into the fixed index space. Um, why, talk about the annuity space generally. Maybe sort of walk through the types of annuities, what the common perception of annuities are, and then we can sort of go to what fixed index annuities are solving for. Yes. I think when most people hear the term annuity, the classic annuity people think about is I turn over all my wealth to an annuity carrier. Um, and then they'll make lifetime income payments, you know, guarantee lifetime income payments to that consumer. I think what we found is that actually a very small amount of the current marketplace, consumers are not doing that. Now, we think they're great products for customers. We think they solve a real longevity need. But I think from a behavioral standpoint, very few consumers are willing to to leave all that wealth behind, right? For them, there's a psychological barrier of turning over your entire life savings to an annuity company even though it may help protect against longevity and provide for that lifetime need, lifetime income need. Um, so what we're finding in most of the annuity marketplace has been split between um, variable annuities um, and, and fixed annuities, uh, where, where there are s certain benefits, income benefits that can be branched off of those in the form of riders. But the predominant thing, so variable annuities are, are based on um, – um, just returns of uh, t tend to be wrapped mutual funds within an annuity contract, and um, and fixed annuities are, are more more determined kind of growth rates within the products. I think one of the biggest advantages of them all of them all is that it's tax deferred growth of the product. And so when you think about those standard annuities, it, it is just a wrapper of and people do in equities, they do bonds, they do all assets in these standard. Yeah, so within a, a fixed annuity is sort of the classic situation, and there a customer would give, you know, would um, would give us an insurance carrier, um, uh, maybe a hundred thousand dollars, and we would guarantee some fixed growth rate of those funds uh, for some period of time. So typically, we have surrender charges, uh, typically of maybe seven or ten years would be the classic lens, and therefore customers would have penalties um, if they were to access their money earlier. But in return for that, um, we're able to invest in long, um, illiquid sort of uh, liabilities, tends to be fixed income, and we're able to pass on those returns um, over to our customers. So like right now, you know, the fixed rate annuity, interest rates are still very low. So to have, let's say, a 2 or 3% fixed return for someone's retirement, that, that might not be enough for them. Um, so ultimately, replacing a fixed interest rate and allowing the client to get exposure to the equity market with some of the par partial participation in the equity market is a much better value proposition probably over the long run. Yeah, and that's that kind of gets us into where, where fixed index annuities uh, come into play, and that's that's predominantly um, what we sell <clears throat> yeah. um, today. How big is that market? Like how 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 much of the annuity market today is fixed index annuities versus the others, and how much is it growing? Uh, yeah, so the fixed index annuities are growing. Um, probably the one of the largest segments of growth, I think, in all the annuity space at the moment. Uh, we're at sixty billion a year in annualized sales right now. Um, fixed annuities in general, I think, over the last year, for the first time, they finally caught variable annuities. Um, so at the moment, we're selling just as many fixed annuities, uh, of which fixed index annuities is the largest segment, um, and, and finally have overtaken variable annuities. So, and what's, now explain the difference you know, to our listeners between the fixed and variable. So a variable annuity, it's, um, you, the, the insurance carrier picks a series of mutual funds. So you put your money within that variable annuity, which is putting it in that tax-protected growth engine. And, and their returns are driven by the perfectly the underlying performance, one for one, of whatever those investment choices are. Within a fixed index annuity, uh, there, there also tends to be um, some fees associated with those variable annuities that, that may drag down performance to some extent. Uh, within a fixed index annuity, um, we guarantee the, the classic example of a fixed index annuity would be, would be one that's built on a, a one-year point-to-point cap for S&P. So the way that product would work is um, 
is is each year we may be, de- declare a cap rate of maybe five or six percent. So the consumer's performance over that year, um, will, they'll get all the S and P growth up to that cap rate, um, and that will credit to their account value. The good thing is we guarantee that there'll never be a loss um, inside of the underlying contracts, so unlike a variable annuity, right, where where equity markets could fall or bonds could fall. Um, within the fixed index annuity, we guarantee that you'll never lose any money. So all your principal is always 100% protected. So that it's so interesting. You know, the index annuity first came to market in the mid-90s. You think you spent your career now really being a, a pioneer in the, the smart beta industry, you know, with your work at Wisdom Tree. And, and to think now you're actually starting to see over the last six or seven years the synergy where smart beta indexing, which you've utilized in funds now for 12 years or so, has been placed into the fixed index annuity. So instead of having clients just exposed to the S&P 500, they're getting a better value proposition and they're able to diversify. You can get exposure into the commodities market, international markets, alternative strategies uh, that, that really help clients navigate from the retirement as a mutual fund it's very interesting. The mutual funds in the variable annuity industry in 07 or 08 was actually a little hard, much more difficult for the insurance companies to hedge that risk. You couldn't look under the hood every day and know what was the holdings of the fund and if they were going to guarantee the protection so the clients don't lose money. That was a much more expensive and, and challenging process. And fixed index annuities with tr- transparency of indexing and rules-based strategies allow for the efficiency for the insurance company to offer that product in a much more competitive setting. Well, I want you to also, you know, make sure our listeners understand that by guaranteeing you no losses, you're not going to get all the upside. Exactly. Uh, you that's know, a trade-off. You are going to give up some that's of that upside. That's a trade-off. But yeah. yeah. And, and a lot of, that's very good for a lot of people, you know, uh, they retirees. feel retirees uh, are very loss averse, as we say. That's exactly the problem that we're trying to solve, right? So yeah. if you think about what are the key Key concerns that someone's going to have as they approach retirement. One of the biggest issues, and I think there's been countless academic studies have shown, that what happens to my portfolio the years leading right up into retirement, right? When you're about to transform what has been their accumulation their entire lives to the income phase, where they now need to live another 20, 30 years or longer, an uncertain amount of time. If that, if their, if their portfolio, if their wealth vanishes during that period of time, um, suddenly, they, they they no longer have the means to to support their lifetime income, and I think that's what our products do so incredibly well by guaranteeing that that sequence of return risk is now off the table yeah. because we we you can't have any of those now, losses. Now, Professor, you've talked about how much equity exposure people should have. Like it's a lot more when you enter retirement because you have you know depending on your health, right? It depends on you know how much you expect to live, and but what how do you but, think but about the drawdown the is important? I mean, you say you know the, the thing is that. You know, under a, a pure variable annuity, or if, let's say you do it on your own, you hold the stock market, you need, a, you know, 100000 a year. If you have to take that 100000 now and the market's down 50%, you suddenly have a lot less in the rest of your life. Absolutely. I mean, that's, I right. mean, those drawdowns could be disastrous for you going and, forward. And you're taking withdrawals out. So there's even no when time. The mar- even when yep. the market bounces back. Because you had to take it out when it was low, and that's uh, one of the. I don't problems. know if either one of you gents think about, or you have a standard equity bond mix with no annuities in it. Let's call it a sixty forty portfolio. Sure. How do you think about what should come into this standard sixty forty portfolio with annuities, and or how it changes the the, the, the calculus? Well, that's a really good point, Jeremy. And uh, actually, Roger Ibbotson uh, of the Yale School and, and Chairman and CIO of Zebra Capital Management. He actually, this past uh, year, uh, has published a new white paper going back to 1927, analyzing how S&P uncapped fixed index annuity would have performed against the long-term bond market and stock market. And then at the end of the paper, uh, Ibbotson and his team at Zebra actually compare with current interest rate levels the risk that clients have with 60-40 portfolios. Um, and, And that's, I think, we've been in a, this is now the big flip. Now, in the last 35 years, or up to like 2016, an equity bond portfolio was the right way to go. You know, and, and when you think about the size of the, the retirement market, it's probably about $28 trillion, according to the ICI. Target date funds now represent $1.1 trillion. 
And there's about 120 billion of that sitting in uh, 2020 target date funds that in a year and a half, they're going to go substantially into bonds with bond risks. That the risk of those bonds is if rates go up another one or 2%, the bond component of that strategy will go down six to 12%. And they're not going to be correlated with equities. So what, what, what Ibbotson found in the paper and his analysis was actually even today's interest rate levels, if equities can continue going up, let's say 10% over the long run, and if rates go up, a, you're going to actually see a 60-40 bond portfolio versus a 60-40 FIA portfolio. The FIA component version will outperform by about 2.1%. So you're yeah. suggesting that they substitute, I mean, that, well, that analysis is saying, hey, bonds, bad bet. FIAs yeah. are a much better bet. And, and, and what, what Ibbotson highlights is, you know, for, there's a certain aspect of retirement proceeds. You might, if you need immediate liquidity, it's still best to have maybe some short-term interest rate bond components hmm. um, and, and some cash on the side. But there's a big part of retirement savings. You have a dirt, you can have the ability to be out seven, eight, nine, ten, twelve years. So to be able to hold that up into a fixed index annuity and replace the bond exposure with you know, allocations to the equity market. And to, to, to Professor Siegel's point, it's not meant to be the equity replacement. You're giving up some of the participation, uh, but with an uncapped fixed index annuity, if the S&P is up you know, 30%, it's actually likely that you know, there's going to be some years you could get 10% uh, in strategies. And, and, and that's what we're trying to shoot for, that 5 to 7% return without having that bond duration risk issue. Let me just reintroduce our guests. We're talking to Tom Haynes of Annexus, Adam Pulitzer of Athene on the topic of annuities, in particular fixed index annuities, which is an interesting substitute as we're hearing more for bonds than for equities. Professor, how do you think about duration risk here and what they're talking about that, you know, cash rates are rising, the yield curves are flat, so you don't get paid that much to go outside the curve. Right. Um, um, how do you think about what, what they're talking about? And then we're going to be going, here? I mean, I... We're going to be going to a flatter term structure, a, a smaller difference between long and shorts. And I, I, I often say we're, we're hearkening back to the 50s and 60s where the actually average spread between 10 years and, and 90 days is only 77 basis points. Uh, and, and it was three times that much during, you know, most of the last 30 years when we had so much higher interest rates. So there isn't a, a lot of spread. But a lot of, you know, what you're talking about, fixed income annuities reminds me of that famous saying about J.P. Morgan, uh, about one of his friends uh, uh, said he was very worried about the volatility of the market and he couldn't sleep. And he asked uh, J.P. Morgan, well, what, what, uh, what should I do about it? And uh, J.P. said, just sell enough stocks down to the sleeping point. So... You know, I mean, we don't want retirees to lose their sleep uh, with volatile markets. And uh, this is one way to go that uh, could uh, cure that. So, Adam, yeah. how, does, how does this flat yield curve change the, the business for insurance companies like yourselves? Like, how does that impact your balance sheets? And how do you think about diversifying your risks? Yeah, for us, actually, a flat yield curve is, is somewhat challenging. Um, at Athene, um, and we've been been upfront with our investors, we're, we're a recent public company, that we've actually been been a little bit short on the yield curve recently in our investment portfolio. So we've been sort of preparing for that, and um, and some of that duration has actually helped our our returns. Um, in the long term, um, you know, a flat yield curve does make it challenging because we are part of the part of what we're doing with our products is, um, you know, we're passing on sort of that, that rise in interest rate curve, right? Gets passed on by tying down that consumer liquidity that, that, that does translate into value. So yeah, that is interesting how you achieve the returns that you're delivering on these products. It's like you're investing, like, how do you think of, so on these strategies where you're, you, you have a annuity that's maybe a 10-year duration, I mean, how do you think about managing the bond portfolio around that? Yeah, for the most part, we try to match, right? So when we offer, when we sell our products to our customers, they pretty much are expecting that, um, you know, if we offer them a 6% cap or a 50% participation rate in, in a beta strategy, in a smart beta strategy, that they're able to get that that, that same return is going to be available to them in each year's. So it's important when we match our book that our our yields um, are, are properly matched to what we're giving our customers. What's what's the average duration of your? We sell predominantly seven and ten year products, okay. or, or mostly what we sell. We do sell some twelve year products as well. 
Um, and, and that's predominantly where we're at. So I think, um, you know, Tom talked about needing some liquid part of their, of their portfolio. You know, we, we, again, there are penalties of somewhere to access their money earlier. This is meant for their non-liquid <clears throat> part portion of their portfolio. Um, one of the features that we do add is that we do offer 10% free partial withdrawals. So there's no, you know, something that we understand that some, you know, our consumers are going to have some liquidity concerns that may come up unexpectedly. There are ways of getting out those funds. Um, we also allow um, all, all RMDs. So everybody, if, if these fun, if these, if the assets are purchased with qualified funds, um, our customers are able to take out the required minimum distributions um, uh, without any penalties. And the other aspect of, of the product that's interesting we haven't talked about is some. It's elective. You can actually have a, a guaranteed income rider. So what, what's that mean? That means you take, let's say, the, the accumulation earned of your capital protected equity strategy or a multi-asset strategy within the annuity over the accumulation phase. But when you purchase the annuity, if you elect to take the guaranteed minimum income, you're going to start to um, annuitize with your gains, but the insurance company is able to look at the, you know, the, the longevity risk of the pool of their clients and actually give a, the client a, a fixed payout of over time of their value. So let's say that a payout ratio of, let's say, 6 to 7% of the value of, of their account value over the life, uh, entire, entire life. And you know, that's it's one of the, the, the things I think American retirees, so many are not properly saved for retirement. You know, 401k balances, it's amazing. The average yields are, the average value is even under $100,000. The days of the pension are over, yet we continue. And I think here we're we're in Penn's campus, one of the leaders in medical research and technology and one of the best hospitals in the world. People are living longer, you know, with with, with that. And as a result, they're just not properly funded to go into retirement. Like There's some studies out there that highlight a married couple. There's going to be a 50% chance that one of the husband or the wife will be able to live into their 90s. So Social Security, is that going to be enough to handle uh, you know, your retirement savings? Unfortunately, even if you look at uh, ARP, look at this analysis, uh, the COLA, which is the, the rate of the CPI increasing in Social Security, it's, it's not going to keep up really with the true inflation levels of the market, and yet alone the retiree. So by diversifying that into uh, you know, looking into the FIA, the fixed index annuity, having that better um, equity-based accumulation engine and having income will be a key supplement. So it's a whole other unique world to this market here. Professor, maybe on the macro level of the Social Security and aging situation, you've done some research on how we stand as a society on aging. And yeah. uh, I mean, how do you how do you think all of this plays out? I mean, it's like this third rail of politics that nobody wants to touch. No, is what yeah. are the, the what's pensions? Huge. And- we all we all know the entitlements are what really bankrupts the whole fiscal system going forward. Uh, the Social Security Trust Fund scheduled to run out of money by 2033. Um, and uh, actually, the crisis might come much earlier because they have to start selling a lot of the bonds in the trust fund, which is now about a trillion and a half beforehand, uh, even before it goes down to zero. It's uh, only 15 years away. I mean, I remember I, when I we were know. writing about that I years know. ago. You're going to have to worry about that. No, it's crazy. I mean, when Social Security was, you know, first uh, started uh, in the 1930s, um, you could only start at 65, and life expectancy was 65, interestingly enough. Now, of course, we have the option that more, uh, more people take, I think, than the 65 is the 62-year beginning. Of course, you only get... Uh, you, 80% or so, but they start at 62. And, uh, you know, as you said, uh, living into their 80s and 90s, and even as we look in the future, perhaps even more. Um, and Adam, you're an actor. Uh, yeah, there, I mean, <laughs> you know, it doesn't, you know, uh, it doesn't make sense that, you, you know, that our current Social Security system will ever begin to to cover that's, those sort of uh, retirement periods. And that, that's exactly the other, you know, so I think Tom alluded to it, that 50% of our sales or so or the industry sales are in these income riders. And they really are sort of a personal pension that someone, that an individual can go out and buy on their own. Um, and as Tom alluded to, I think the, you know, as I, as I opened the talk about what a traditional SPIA is, and most customers have been hesitant to actually, you know, psychologically, that's a difficult decision to make. Uh, the advantage of these income riders is that they don't actually make that decision, at least not all at once. 
uh, the way these products work and, and is that there's, there's a small fee embedded in their contract for it. Um, but when they st- what, what happens is when they go to start electing income, they just start taking withdrawals across their own money. So their account value is still there. It doesn't disappear all at once. Um, what the guarantee, what we do, what we offer as a guarantee for that fee that we've been collecting for all those years is to make sure that even if they do take withdrawals such that their account value is zero, it's going to continue indefinitely into the future. So I think these products really, you know, I think, you know, earlier I talked about how it solves for that sequence of return risk, you know, huge issue for retirees. And the second issue we've just been talking about is longevity. You know, we really feel like these products solve the needs, both of those really well. We're going to have to take a quick break, um, but we're going to continue our, our conversation with Tom Haynes, Alan Putzer, Professor Siegel. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and you're listening to Behind the Markets and Sirius XM 111. We'll be back after a short break. Before the break, we were talking about um, sort of how do you get these riders and some of the fees in there. And, Professor, I know you, you're thinking about coming back with a, a tougher question for yeah, you, Yeah, well, you know, there's a, a lot of people have negative impressions of annuities. Um, I mean, we have some advisors out there like Ken Fisher and others. You've heard that. Oh, don't buy annuities and <laughs> nosebleed, uh, you know, commissions and you can do everything an annuity can do. Uh, I don't really think you can, but um, how, how do you, how do you answer these critics? Because I think sophisticated investors have, have, uh, have heard these criticisms. Well, Yeah. You know, I mean, I think, um, you know, I I know obviously the first thing people talk about are the commissions and the loads and those kinds of things. You know, I think, um, you know, obviously our our financial advisors and insurance agents that sell our products, we do pay them a commission. You know, however, these are buy and hold products for the most part. They're meant to last um, seven to 10 years, as I pointed out earlier. And I think when you break down the fees that we're paying our agents, I think you'll find that actually all in that 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 it's a very reasonable amount compared to just about any other financial product that, that is out there in the industry. Um, also talk briefly about how this product works. And in a lot of ways, we are giving access to, you know, very sophisticated, difficult to replicate uh, retirement product that, that, that I don't think most consumers would be able to do on their own. Um, so I know at Athene, um, you know, I know there's been a lot of talk lately about the DOL and the fiduciary rule. Department of Labor. Yeah, the Department of Labor fiduciary rule, and um, it, you know, which was an interesting thing for us as a company, because on the one hand, um, we believe very strongly that everyone who sells our products should be able to held to a fiduciary standard, and we think most of the people selling our products um, already do hold themselves and, and work in that vein. Um, you know, I think there were some problems with the the way that, that litigation was being part of that, but in general. You know, I think you'll find that most people in the annuity industry are very much for some type of fiduciary standard, predominantly because we think it will help legitimize the product segment, and we think it's largely being sold, um, you know, under that uh, under that level today. Well, I think, Professor Siegel, you're absolutely right. You know, if you look at financial product space over the last 25, 30 years and the, uh, you know, the evolution, the FIA, there was, like any industry, some, some firms that did questionable practices. And, and actually, that's why... You know, my my uh, management at Nexus, Ron Schertz and Don Dady, they were in the fixed index annuity industry for about 25, 30 years, each of them, and knew each other very well. And in 2005, said to each other, we have such a powerful accumulation engine, but if we don't make a better product, you know, in terms of not the engine, but the transparency of the clients, taking a fiduciary standard, fair sales practices, um, we're not going to grow this thing. And this is actually such a valuable tool right now, because hence the reasons we talked about earlier. So that's why they founded it in Nexus, as to build something stable that is fair to clients. And early on in that process, they actually worked and partnered with the first uh, developers of the index annuity, a firm called Genesis Financial, out of Toronto, and partnered with them that said, we need a, a robust strategy, something that is going to work well for our policyholders, something that's going to work well for the insurance company. And then from a sales perspective, making sure that that process is clear. We actually run background, you know, and the insurance companies run background checks on those advisors. Oh, that's a, that's a key issue to, to highlight. In terms of education, making sure that the marketers and wholesalers are appropriately trained, going in through multi-day sessions, constant training. And that's why actually now the market, which we talked about earlier in today's session here, 
is the world of smart beta and customized indices going into the FIA is even the diligence there. That's why I actually just joined a Nexus last year. So, so, so sure. talk about who a Nexus is. I mean, you're a marketing organization. We haven't talked a lot about what a Nexus does versus what Athene does, but you you told you were telling us that your clients tend to be RIAs as well as we need to talk about your client base and then maybe a little bit of what's the practice that sort of the unscrupulous practices of sales and then how you guys are, are sort of set differently and what the fees might be. Sure. So a Nexus and it's based in Scottsdale, Arizona, it's a product development, marketing and distribution organization. And, and, and that, that kind of three-tiered process there, um, from a product development purpose, we work very closely with the insurance company. Hence, I'm on the phone. My colleagues are on the phone regularly. Adam and I speak multiple times a week in terms of development of, of the index annuity process. And then from there, we transition to make sure our marketing and sales material consistent and accurate with that story. The last thing we want to do is build something over here in left field, and then we have something that doesn't match from a marketing perspective. It's wrong. Or it's confusing. It's and the clients don't understand it. So that's a very that's one of the things that the Nexus has focused on very well over the years. And then the last part is taking that, doing that educational training with uh, distributional marketing people, organizations that have been reviewed and vetted by a Nexus. You know, it, it, there are sales organizations in, in financial product space where somebody in their trunk is selling products. So a Nexus has taken a careful view of working with organizations that, that sell products to financial advisors, and I'll go through that in a bit, but that have chief compliance officers, broker-dealers, RIAs, uh, th- that have an infrastructure. That's going to be important to ensure that there, there's that process in place so things don't go off the rails. Uh, and then that distribution of, of, of who that financial professional is working with the client. Uh, today, it's, a, it's actually a majority of uh, independent broker-dealers throughout the United States uh, 25% of our business is, is, is RIAs, yep. actually doing it maybe outside business activities or, or if, you know, doing it in, in conjunction with their, their business, and then, and then still insurance sales agents. So, so that, that group is what we see as our, our distribution of, of, of the market. Um, and, what, and what's the standard commissions on these type of product, products? So you know, I'd say on average you could see it around 6 7%, but again, for a holding period of, let's say, 12 years or 10 years, you know, you're going to see the sub 1%. So, you know, 50 basis points per annum. And if a client's in it for 20 years, that's a really good deal. Right. Um, so now you're down to 30 basis points over 20 years. Exactly. Now, are there any fees embedded in the products themselves besides the commission? Um, you, you know, it's not, there are no direct fees embedded unless you, you opt for one of our income writers. Um, so we make money off of a spread. So the way we build our products is we're invested in um, you know mostly fixed income, lots of corporate bonds, there's some other structured assets in there. That's what's backing the liability predominantly. We take some of that spread, uh, keep that for ourselves for profit and expense, and then try to pass uh, the rest of the um, of the proceeds off that fixed income back to our customers. And I think what's important about where the, the markets evolved over the last you know 20 years, 25 years in the industry, is just look, look at the size of the insurance companies coming out with the products now. Um, they, you know, you, you take Athene, for example. Here, Athene is an NYSE-listed company with a market cap around $10 billion. Very, a lot of you know, SEC filings, transparency. You're dealing with large mutual companies. Uh, so you, you, we work with uh, – you know, so the legitimization of the product is really have, has been key to that, that, that process. We haven't talked about the option element of these products yet, which was, I found interesting that you have this fixed income – underlying but then there's option pricing that is how people get these fixed index annuity returns yeah well, maybe we should say what is an option right for the audience it, yeah so i think um yeah the way this product is constructed i talked a little bit <laughs> about um you, you know about how most of it is just backed by by these corporate bonds and, and we use apollo one of the best fixed income uh investors in the world to do our investments um and um and and we take a spread, and that's used to support an option budget. An option, basically, when I said earlier that when we, we have that S and P point to point cap, that might be give a customer between um, um, you know, the the upside performance of the S and P without the downside. We basically replicate that that performance in the option markets by buying an option that perfectly replicates that payoff, and we'll work with the, all the investment banks. Um, out there to purchase that product. So that's my background. So I've, um, I, as I mentioned, I started my career here in Cooper Neff out of Philadelphia and, and actually transitioned when I left the NYC. I went into the investment banking world for really seven years at RBS and UBS. So really behind the scenes and developing 
the indices negotiating with uh, like Adam or his counterparts in the street for these these traits. So what what that means is the traditional kind of how this evolution started. Um, once we move past S and P as the underlying index, which you still can offer, but this this idea of smart beta, the investment banks were developing these indices or partnering with those indices, uh, and then ultimately to get that exposure to the client, they would sell a a financial contract to the insurance company. And it's actually it's a collateralized contract, but what it does is the the insurance company doesn't have any losses, hence to call option, no losses, and they they receive the upside. So by the insurance company buying that institutional contract from a bank, they're then off, able to offset their liabilities. And, and that's actually why Nexus uh, brought me on last year. Yeah. You know, they had had that expertise I mentioned in understanding the fairness and distribution standards, understanding contract uh, transparency with the design of the benefit for the product. But in terms of this evolution of smart beta and derivative pricing, my role is actually in New York to look under the hood to ensure that we're getting you know, validated pricing, best best pricing to pass on to the end client. So we're uh, talking with Tom Haynes of Anexus, Adam Pulitzer of Athene. And, and so in this option, it's sort of really interesting dynamics. If you got bonds, you're collecting called 4% <clears> of <throat> the bonds, you're keeping 2% of the bond income to buy maybe 2% of the money to buy these options. Is that an exactly. approximate math, right? It's, that's about right. Hopefully we give a little more consumer, but that's, that's a high level. That's about right. And that ultimately... With it, let's say the strategy terms of two to three years. So if you're then in this annuity, let's say it's a ten-year minimum, you know, surrender period. What what would happen is you're buying the opportunity to have capital protection with upside participation to the market for a two to three-year period. And actually, what one of the things that Nexus did to help evolve the market further, our partners and ourselves developed the patent for giving daily valuation. So a lot of insurance companies don't actually have daily valuation of what what your strategy is worth. And here we have CNBC up right now saying how the, the Dow is going up and down. Uh, it's only fair to clients and advisors to get that. So we work with DTC to give that transparency, which is is, is monumental. Um, so with this this option budget, what, what could do? You know, what, what could be done with it? The S&P 500, the volatility of the S&P 500 is very dramatic. Um, and as a result of that, there's also interest rate behavior and dividends. The, what is the participation rate of, of, of one of these going to be in the S&P 500? It'll vary. Uh, Professor Ibbotson in his white paper saw that it can fluctuate almost like 100%. On average, it's around 67%. But, but really, due, due to the, the, the innovation of yourselves, you know, Jeremy, Professor Siegel, your, your, your peers in the industry, Roger Ibbotson, Professor Schiller, many others, you've gotten to see – Smart beta strategies I mentioned earlier, they offer better returns for risk-adjusted levels. So by offering strategies, indices that have lower volatility, you actually are able to offer more efficiency and better equity participation in these strategies and more stable returns. And so from an investment bank perspective, how do they price the Schiller option? So that, that is, uh, really goes back with risk-managed strategies. They tend to target, let's say, the, the Schiller index with Athene has a 10% volatility. So what, what does that mean? The, the, the Professor Schiller, by the way, developed an index, and you know, it's been research and actually many other research pieces from, from Professor Siegel uh, kind of comparing it, and he's, he's evolved it even further uh, on the CAPE ratio. But he's developed with Barclays actually a sector strategy taking the four least, vol, least uh, valued, lowest valued relative sectors based on his analysis on CAPE. So that goes into an index that's rules-based. There's yeah. no active management. It's, it's calculated every day. So transparency there, tracking large cap stocks. And then the index is rules-based, has a methodology that has make sure the volatility, the movement of the index targets what we say 10% volatility. So what does that mean? On average, the S&P 500 over the long term has been around 18 to 20% volatility. During the crisis, it got up to 80% volatility. So this index targets what a 10% volatility over time, and then clients get exposure to that index. So by doing that, actually, we go back to the, the, the research of Nobel, another, a famous Nobel Prize laureates, you know, um, Scholes and Merton and you know, the late Fisher Black, who, who was instrumental in that. And, and we actually use their, they use their research to price up what the option is. And then they, they agree to actually how much the pricing of the option will be based on a for, formulaic principles. Uh, which so how creates do they get a lot of transparency. How, does, how do they target 10% vol on that? 
So, 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 is it, do they let, does they have bonds to it, or do that, they? that's actually using cash? So that which cash, is, yeah, that uses cash. So if the equity market gets more volatile, it'll transition to yeah. cash. Okay, right. And you know, there's other. There's right. actually of, of the. There's probably about 50 strategies in the FIA market that are using customized strategies. There's an array of ways of doing it. Uh, for example, it could be using uh, concepts of, of momentum and risk parity. So selecting an asset allocation framework that has the lowest amount uh, of risk. Um, or maybe the, there is an ability of selecting the, the stocks with the lowest amount of volatility to increase the equity participation and still mainly managing with bonds or cash. And that's a key I, I, thing. I think, it, I think what's important in what you're saying, um, a lot of people say, oh, my God, I missed the boat. Look at the market is up you know, 300% since 2009. Uh, no, you really haven't. Yeah, you missed an initial bounce back to be sure. But my research shows that there's still very good returns left in this equity market. And even, you know, from these current levels, you know, I forecast uh, an average of, uh, you know, very near, you know, uh, 8% return, 75 to 8 So, uh, you know, don't think, oh, my God, yeah, I missed it and stock returns are going to be very low. And so, you know, I don't want to participate. No, uh, you, you still want to participate in this equity market. Yeah. And, it, you know, once again, back to the you know, the fundamental issue about what those products do is they're, they're all about giving people the comfort to participate to some extent, right, with either the vol control lever or cap or participation rate, but still have that comfort of uh, of zero, right, of of that entire protection. So it's just another way, you know, it, it gives customers that ability to continue to participate on those longward trends um, and, without having to worry about those downsides. And so the real risk, right, if the max risk is zero, their real risk is your solvency at a theme. Is yeah, that that's right. Risk? Yeah, so do, I think you guys get best ratings like insurance. We companies? are, yeah. So we are. We're currently um, with, the, and I forgot which one's which, but we've got uh, we're an A rated on one of the three rating agencies, A minus on the other. Uh, we are running our company as an A. We're expecting to get. Hope we hope to get that someday. Um, we keep ourselves very well capitalized. Um, one of the one of the highest capital ratios in, in the industry. That, that's a key thing to understand. Who, who's the the issuer of the, the insurance product? And that's that. There's going to be small insurance companies, so it's good to have that that transparency. And who's who? What would we say as for the industry at large beyond a theme? Like, what are the risks that people should be watching out for? Like, what are the types of products that were sold? I know, and I know during the the financial crisis, people were worried about some guaranteed products that was going to take the insurance industry down in some degree. Is that is one that of the still things? And again, I I have a perspective because I come like yourself in the indexing world. Yeah. And with this in- increase of smart beta. You know, one of the things that concerns me, we, we just had a talk for the last you know, hour ultimately about the risk of bond market. So why would I build a customized index or have an insur- a client buy a customized index that's fueled by bond returns? And w- w- what's going to happen if bonds, we, we think bonds are going down and the client's going to lose money? And, and, and they might have looked really good historically if we show an illustration of what that looked like. That would have looked perfect over the last 35 years. But we're no longer in the last 35 years. So that's one of the key things I look at. And really try to think about it from a fiduciary angle because advisors have that, that responsibility. Make sure there's not too much bond risk or those hidden mm-hmm. gotchas that, um, oh yeah, I'm, I'm using an example, but let's say there's an index of only 10 stocks. Now, we ultimately want to have a lot of liquidity on our indices, or not excessive risk to one market. So that's what we look at. And I, but I can't say the same about every product in the market. But even in financial, I mean, I'm, I'm not an expert on, in the insurance industry, but there weren't any defaults on standard insurance products during that. No, crisis. no I think um, no. So first of all, I mean, and we know about what happened to AIG, and that's what they, you know, they got into stuff that they shouldn't have got into, and of course were rescued and all that, and made made whole. But it was the annuity business. Yeah. It was. I think generally yeah. what you're referring to, you know, variable annuities, right? So I think variable annuities um, going into the crisis, they offered very rich guaranteed. Income riders, the, the product we talked about mm-hmm. earlier, mm-hmm. on top of a variable annuity. What happened with those products? And at that time, I, you know, those products, I think, largely understood that they were a little mispriced. Consumers got a great value, um, and and it became apparent during the financial crisis when all those account values dropped off, and then the insurance carrier had this income for life benefit um, that they were still offering their customers that was at that time tenuous and and difficult for them to. 
to make up. Um, so what's happened, and, and part of the reason for the rapid growth of the FIA space, is that the variable annuity carriers can't offer that product anymore. Like they realize that if we're going to continue to offer, um, you know, some of those great income benefits that that, that they they're not allowing their consumers to be 100% invested in equities. Right? They're going to force their customers if they want those income benefits to be in in some blend of bonds and stocks, such that their performance is, is no longer there. And what we found as an FIA carrier, because we have that zero floor each year. Uh, we don't have that risk as they do, and we're actually able to offer better guaranteed income for life than the variable annuities. So, so our solvency, we can better manage our solvency. We can provide better income benefits on our product chassis relative to the variable annuities. We're in our final three-minute countdown, Professor. Any areas that we haven't covered, or any? Or, or well, you know, as I say, it it, it is very comforting. To have that zero bottom line, I mean, um, you know, as, as they say, people just don't like to lose money. They work hard for it. And, uh, you know, at least it stays the same. And let me also say that, yes, I know you could buy an equity portfolio and you can keep on buying puts and, and all that. You don't know how hard that is. And volatility changes and duration and you have to stay up on it. And the problem is, with a lot of people who try to actively uh, manage that, they get caught into the sentiment of the market. Oh, market's going up. I don't want to buy put. And that's usually the time they do. And, and the liquidity <laughs> actually on these options may not be like if you're buying, you're taking bond portfolio, you're collecting income and you're buying, you're using that income to buy some options. Those options aren't priced as readily available for mom and pop as no, the are. index that you're getting. No, no, no people on. don't have no. trading approvals, and the options market in Chicago is a three month. They're about you can buy a three month option or a six month option with liquidity. We're giving you institutional capabilities here and in, in packaging that for efficiency. Okay, but the thing gets a little spread on top. Yes. Well, you know, it's a, <laughs> someone's doing something for you that you. Can't do yourself, or it would be extremely difficult yeah. to do myself. The you you should be compensating someone for that. Absolutely. Any other closing thoughts from we got final thirty seconds? I, I just think that the retirement crisis right now and where the bond market is going that that's something that really has to be taken seriously in the next you know ten to twenty. The years. retirement crisis combined with you know people living a lot longer. Um, and uh, how they're going to make their money um, last that long. Any places you think people should look for more information on either of your firms? I think if you go to the theme websites, uh, you, you'll actually find a lot of public materials about the product, uh, which are going to be very useful. And also there's actually, <clears throat> to, to be able to gain that sense of that, that, that value proposition, or many times you're independent financial advisors uh, in Main Street USA, to go to approach them and learn about the product as well. We're good. Tom Haynes, Adam Pulitzer, thank you for joining us in the studio for the hour today. Well, Great. thank you so much, Professor Siegel. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.